Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. America's older population is growing, and so is the number of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer adults who are moving into their later years. Oftentimes, older LGBTQ adults have to cope with unique barriers and inequalities that can stand in the way of a healthy and rewarding later life. My guest today is Kirsten Fuller, Social Innovation Manager with Seabury Resources for Aging. She's going to discuss how social stigma and prejudice can make it more difficult for LGBTQ elders to live in certain communities and enjoy successful aging. She'll also talk about the problems that older LGBTQ adults face when seeking health care and social services and finding housing. Finally, she'll talk about solutions being offered and available resources to help LGBTQ adults live long and healthy lives. So welcome, Kirsten, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Well, Kirsten, let's let's talk about kind of what I was was indicating in my introduction, and particularly the baby boomers, because they're the folks who are aging right now. So do the health and socioeconomic concerns of those who are LGBTQ differ a great deal from those of non-LGBTQ baby boomers? What what can you tell us about that? Absolutely. Um, They definitely differ for many reasons. As you all know, the baby boomers are part of the Stonewall um, era. And so they faced a lot of discrimination over time. And so there is definitely um, an elevated risk for social, um, economic and health disparities. Um, Isolation plays a role in that. And I'll I'll talk about that uh, down the line and kind of give some more information. Um, But just LGBTQ older adults are twice as likely um, to reside alone. um, And that plays a role as well, along with some financial barriers, whether it's education, um, whether it's their experiences, also the idea of partner insurance. So different things like that can play a role um, and create that risk of social, economic, and health disparities for sure. And I'd like to take that one step further, uh, Mm -hmm. Kirsten. If one who is also uh, amongst this, uh, the LGBTQ population, if they also happen to be an ethnic minority, might they even face greater uh, discrimination? And, and if so, uh, in what ways? Absolutely. They definitely do. Um, so you 
you're looking at it as two categories. Um, there are minorities in two ways. There are minority as far as being an LGBTQ older adult, and then they're minority as far as their race. Um, so they're experiencing discrimination probably about six times is, is what has been said um, more than the average LGBTQ uh, senior. I just kind of wanted to look at that population just a little mm -hmm. tiny more within their own racial or ethnic group. Are they facing that as well? Absolutely. They are experiencing that within the LGBTQ community. Um, it is known that uh, gay white males are the lead in financial uh, security, uh, job force, uh, education compared to um, at the bottom would be a lesbian black woman. Um, and so there is some prejudice towards that. Um, and you will see that often. Then you also have a lot of stereotypes within the African-American community and also Latino community of still becoming more accepting to the LGBTQ community. So they're experiencing discrimination within the LGBTQ community and also within their own culture as well. Um, so definitely have more risks um, and are experiencing more discrimination than uh, their other counterparts who are LGBTQ and not a person of color. Thank you for that, because that helps to help us understand that there's a lot going on uh, within this community. And to that point then, and I mentioned this a little bit again in my introduction about seeking health care and social services, talk about that. Are uh, LGBTQ older adults treated differently than their uh, non-LGBTQ counterparts? Tell us in what ways in those areas of health care and social services, what are they experiencing? Absolutely. And so with services, some of our seniors don't feel comfortable. They're actually kind of going back into the closet. Um, many of them don't want to discuss um, their sexual orientation. They also, if you are a lesbian and you're not having sex with a male, you're not checking for certain things because you're not having a heterosexual relationship. So there's some discrimination there. And so they definitely have to be careful on who their healthcare provider is and making sure that they're still doing routine checks and not discriminating against and saying, oh, well, you don't have a heterosexual relationship, so we don't have to check for these things, um, which is not true at all. Uh, and then also with high poverty rates within LGBTQ older seniors is the access to healthcare is the piece as well. And so they rather just kind of isolate and not have, um, and not even go back through discrimination. Again, going back to the conversation of a Stonewall uh, era and the HIV era, um, just so many different pieces where they were discriminated against and healthcare became an issue, you don't you don't want to go through it again. You don't want to continue to feel not supported or not heard. Um, and so you just rather isolate and and not take care of yourself or not even having access to family members that could help you, right? And so we get to baby boomers and we hit 65 and depending on who you are, you might not be fully mobile and might need help getting to um, your doctor's appointments or healthcare uh, appointments and you 
might not be able to have that help where you don't have your daughter or you don't have your son or you have your chosen family and your chosen family lives somewhere else. And we can talk about what that means later. But yes, absolutely. You're definitely experiencing barriers due to the lack of the services and the cultural competency with providers as well. Um, you have one experience where someone doesn't use your pronoun or doesn't respect your relationship or makes a face or makes a comment about who your lover is, you're not going to want to go back. And if you continue to experience that, you're not going to want to go back. And then that goes into increased rates of depression. And it just is a circle of just places where you're discriminated against and causing not only physical health, but then mental health. Um, so absolutely, you're seeing it whether you're going to the doctor's office, whether you're going to the therapist, um, you are definitely seeing folks who are being discriminated against. Are we seeing a change? Absolutely. Is there still work to be done? Absolutely. What I'm hearing you say is, is that there really is a social stigma and prejudice that prevents LGBTQ older adults equal access to healthcare and community-based services. Uh, would you agree? I would agree. Absolutely. And to that point, I guess I'm, I'm just wondering, is it evident that many um, healthcare providers just have this more traditional idea of what older adults should be, that they all should be heterosexual and that they're kind of surprised? Or is it just kind of a innate prejudice against individuals who, particularly older adults in this case, that are LGBTQ. I'm trying to just get a sense of where the health care providers are or the social services providers are on this whole issue. I actually have experienced that. I used to teach presentations. Um, I won't say where. <laughs> um, and I remember being in a meeting and someone said, oh, we don't have LGBTQ seniors in our community. And you can imagine my face. <laughs> um, and I said, well, where do they go? <laughs> I'm like, they, so they just disappear. And so, yes, there is this notion that there's a disconnect from, okay, we have LGBTQ uh, youth. We have LGBTQ young adults. We have adults. And then all of a sudden, there's a disconnect to those LGBTQ adults turn into seniors um, and sometimes aren't even acknowledged. Uh, and so I think it's one about being uncomfortable. I think we are in a society where we don't want to offend. So ignoring is better than offending or just not accepting or acknowledging the fact that I have a blind spot and I need to learn or I need to educate myself or I might need to change my practices, right? And if you aren't comfortable with that, you rather just, let's just keep going the way we've always been. And, and that's not serving anyone. So it's definitely the cultural competency of it all and, and doctors and physicians and therapists getting comfortable with the idea of they might have to tailor even their documents um, when you're coming in, what are your pronouns, um, your orientation, uh, sexual partners, and making sure that they are not heteronormative and that they are LGBT inclusive. And so they're definitely treated different because you can see it even in the paperwork. I mean, how many times have you walked into a doctor's office and you've seen a pamphlet 
and it's a heterosexual couple. You don't see on the pamphlets in the doctor's office um, a LGBTQ person, especially trans. Um, you're definitely not seeing that on on a pamphlet. Um, but we have made strides in the sense of you can go to specifically LGBTQ doctors. Um, Whitman Walker, that's a clinic. People go there all the time as far as DC is concerned. And they specialize in HIV um, healthcare and checking in. And so we have grown in that area, but we continue to, to need to grow still. And I would take it one step back as to, are you aware as to whether the schools where people, healthcare providers are educated, uh, physicians, nurses, social workers, uh, what have you, is there more of a sensitivity now to the fact that, hey, guess what? LGBTQ uh, individuals do get older and they have particular needs. Are you aware of if there's changes in these educational settings? Actually, no, I'm not. And I, I hear all the time from my seniors that even when they're trying to figure out where they want to go or connect to, they have a hard time. There's so many resources and opportunities for the youth um, because they focus on that because they know that them trying to find themselves and transition um, into orientation, whatever that may be, and identity Um it's a heavy set focus, um, but we lose that when we get to our LGBTQ older adults. Um, and so, no, I, I don't see that currently. I do see the education of what LGBTQ seniors went through, but where are they now? What are we doing to uh, help that trauma? And what are we doing moving forward for that, that same group that was affected uh, tremendously uh, by that era? Well, sounds like uh, there's a lot of education that needs to be done in connection with education there. Absolutely. And you mentioned this a little bit earlier about this attitude we're talking about amongst healthcare providers and the healthcare system that it can affect the access to healthcare. And I would also think not only the access to healthcare, but the physical, the mental wellness of individuals as they get older, because we know that older adults do have more health conditions, uh, both uh, certainly physical, but also to some degree uh, mental. Have you seen this in your experience where you are you know, currently working as to that maybe the health status perhaps is not as good um, maybe for LGBTQ um, older adults as opposed to non-LGBTQ adults? What have you seen? I can say um, about, I think the stats are about 31% of LGBTQ older adults report having depressive symptoms, right? Um, and so as that's not a large number in the sense of 100%, but it, it is in 30% is a, is a really good chunk of seniors. And so many of them are not reporting this, right? And with that is because maybe they haven't found the right uh, therapist. Or again, we talked about being offended, um, not being inclusive, um, not being able to support a senior and maybe having a conversation about their partner uh, because of your own beliefs or identity. And, and so, yes, I've definitely seen it. I've heard it. Um, conversations of 
I, my, one of my seniors said, well, I asked for a dental dam at my uh, doctor's appointment and her response uh, was just, I just felt so embarrassed and I didn't understand why I needed to feel embarrassed. I, I should be able to come to you um, about that. But her asking that gave the indication that she was a lesbian. Um, and so that practitioner didn't know how to respond and was thrown off and, uh, you know, offended my senior. Um, the other piece I've definitely seen is a lot of our LGBTQ seniors need interaction. They need to interact because they, again, have faced a lot in their lifetime. Some of my folks are living with HIV. And so when they are isolated due to mental health or physical health, it really plays a role on them completely because they need that interaction. They need to be able to get out and see others so they don't let what's going on with them consume them. And so when, for example, when COVID happened, I know that a lot of my seniors suffer, suffered with mental health and that isolation for them was not good because again, going back into the closet, not being able to see the people, uh, their chosen family and, and connect, it really played a role, I believe, on my LGBTQ seniors the most, honestly. And I, I wanted to get into some of those other areas that we've been talking pretty much about healthcare right now, but I was wondering about social stigma and prejudice impacting the financial security for LGBTQ older adults. What can you tell us about that in terms of how it impacts on this population? Housing for LGBTQ seniors is a huge issue for us. Um, affordable housing. And so lesbian couples are more likely to have a poverty, um, to be in poverty. And you add being a person of color, lesbian, uh, you add an even higher risk for that. And so being faced with higher poverty rates equals, you know, less benefits. And if you are not married or you have just a partner, then we're talking about uh, social, social security access benefits. Um, yeah, your, your insurance, you are disconnected from that because of whatever your marriage status is. I believe in DC, we have folks who are married and that's, and that's great, but in other states, everyone doesn't have that. Um, in Arlington and Virginia, um, I don't believe you can be unionized in Virginia. And so, I have to check that because um, I'm, I'm mostly based in D.C. and I know in D.C. you can. And so, yeah, and, and what we have going on now, all of that might be reversed soon. And so it's definitely threatening to our seniors and that financial barrier um, definitely plays a role in how our seniors are able to have access to many things, whether that's social uh, settings, uh, economic status definitely plays a role in that. Access to healthcare, access to mental health, um, preventative measures for making sure that you know you're getting your medications and the things that you need if you are HIV positive or you have any other um, health disparities. And I was also wondering. Here's another kind of possible situation: if a, mm -hmm. an LGBTQ older adult is by himself or herself and needs the help 
of their biological family members? Can there be issues that occur when the family members, say an adult child has to help or uh, uh, someone else, maybe a care partner who isn't necessarily their their um, social partner, but a partner that is trying to help, do they then run into the same problems um, that the LGBTQ older adult is in terms of discrimination and prejudice? Because they're just trying to do their job and they're getting the same issues. I'm, I'm wondering if that's the case. I feel like the families may feel sometimes disconnected because they want to get specific help and, and might not know where to go and, and how to get to those resources because it um, you do want to make sure when dealing with the LGBTQ older adult that you're giving them what they need and it's not a heterosexual um, or heteronormative space. Um, and so I definitely think they're they're going to have to be educated and connected to and hopefully uh, their parent or chosen family member has that information or they're probably going to struggle trying to find those resources and, and connecting to making sure that the person that they're taking care of gets everything they need. Um, as far as caregiver, um, I would say the one thing that has come up often is that a lot of the caregivers are insensitive and are not inclusive and will say things to seniors, which will cause them to have multiple caregivers. And that's an issue within itself, um, because if you can't find a caregiver and you don't have family members or or chosen family members that you can help with and you are relying on a caregiver and you continuously def- uh have an issue with discrimination, you, what do you do? You isolate. We go back into that uh, isolation because you don't feel connected or you feel like you have to go back in the closet and you're not yourself. And then that creates depression. So it is a full circle of when seeing LGBTQ seniors don't get what they need, those things do affect them um, in different ways, whether it's mental, physical, or both. And to that point, I was going to ask you one last question before the break. Then given all of these factors that we've been talking about, it sounds like these can be real barriers as to whether to age in place, which of course we know statistics strongly uh, show that everyone, all older adults, whether they're LGBTQ or non-LGBTQ, want to age in place. But with these many barriers, it can be more difficult. Would you agree? I mean, is that what you're seeing? Definitely aging in place is difficult, whether it's the access to um, having an aide or having a caregiver that's a financial uh, expense that can be expensive. And if you are not prepared for that and you don't have family members to help you with that, then you are not, you're most likely not going to be able to age in place. And for a lot of our seniors, that is the ideal goal. Um, and, you know, going into a facility is not always great for the mental health of an LGBTQ older adult. I definitely say the greatest discrimination I've definitely seen is in the um, assisted living 
uh, programs. It, they definitely need more education when it comes to LGBTQ older adults from the actual adults who participate in the in the assistant living to the actual practitioners and aides and nurses and doctors that are there and staff members. Um, they are uncomfortable seeing an LGBTQ older adult interact. And so our seniors know that. And so they want to avoid that as much as they can and age in place. But if you have financial barriers or you have a health disparity or concerns and you can no longer take care for yourself and or have an aid or a caregiver to take care of you, your next option is going into that facility. And for some of my seniors, they, they shake their heads. They, they don't want to do it because they know what that means. That equals all the hard work and all the things that they've ever done going to them in, in the trash or going into a closet and, and putting them back in a closet. And that is just not where they want to be. So ideally you would want to age in place, but in the economic world that we live in now, it is expensive. And, you know, making sure you put all the things in like a lift, um, all of those things cost money and are not covered uh, by insurances. And so if you don't have a partner or family members, again, to help you with that, it's going to be a barrier. Well, and we're going to talk more about those kinds of issues and also more about solutions in the second half of this interview. But I just wanted to let folks know, in case they tuned in late, that we're talking with Kirsten Fuller, who is the Social Innovation Manager with Seabury Resources for Aging. And you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We are talking with Kirsten Fuller, Social Innovation Manager with Seabury Resources for Aging. And we're talking about the concerns and issues related to LGBTQ older adults. And we covered a lot of the issues that they face uh, as they age. And so we want to kind of take a different tack now and talk about possible solutions and and ways that uh, some of these issues are being addressed. And to start with, Kirsten, I wanted to ask you, what is meant by the term families of choice? Uh, great question. And so family of choice, you can hear it uh, multiple ways. Sometimes you hear families of choice or chosen family. Um, both mean the same thing. And that is the family that you have created your uh, tribe, if you will, your group that you go to when you need support, help, or your connections. Um, and so you have created your own type of family. So you might have a mother in the drag world. They, uh, the mother is the one who has the wisdom and the connections um, and looks after 
LGBTQ folks who don't have a connection to anyone. And so you'll hear that term mother often. Um, and that's usually someone who has the wisdom and they've been uh, in the LGBTQ world and drag world for a long time and they can help those connect to whatever social connections or supports that they need. Um, also with a family of choice, you might call your best friend or a person you've met over the years and you've continued to connect with that is your family of choice or your partner could also be considered a family of choice. And so it's just being able to connect with someone and create a space where they are no longer friends, they're more your family. Um, and why do LGBTQ uh, adults and youth have to do this is because sometimes their family doesn't believe in their choices as who they've picked for a partner or their their identity. Um, so those who connect to being queer, um, and as you know, queer was not something you could say uh, years ago, but the youth have uh, taken the term and made it a, a, a identity. And so those folks, may not have a connection to their family. Their family have maybe um, ostracized them or no longer ex speak to them. And so that is why you would create that family of choice so they have a chosen family. I would assume then that social isolation can be decreased and community engagement within that community can be increased for the LGBTQ older adults who are part of that chosen family of choice, correct? Absolutely, yes. Um, actually, that is what our program is all about. Um, my Out and About program in D.C., they are able to enjoy seniors from all over uh, the ward. So all wards participate in our program, and we have had folks who have met their partners um, in our program. They have met friends and you know, all the time, they're always just saying like, thank you so much. And for me, I'm like, this is what I do, but you don't realize the impact of seniors who are isolated by themselves, whether they've moved here uh, for better uh, healthcare and support opportunities because DC has so many resources to offer compared to other states. And so um, with that, they have always said just like, thank you. You don't know how being able to just go out to eat or watch a movie with other LGBTQ seniors, how much that means to me and how much I need it. I don't get out much or I don't have any connection to anyone here. So the little uh, things of just being able to just have a conversation for two hours is everything for them. So absolutely. Well, and, and we're going to be talking more about Seabury, uh, where you're located as well. But, but thank you for mentioning that. And we'll get back to that. I wanted to kind of look at a larger global perspective. First of all, do you think that overall, there are actions that are being taken to better understand the challenges facing LGBTQ older adults. I have to quickly add that yesterday I was looking on my phone and there was an article in the Washington Post about oh, wow. LGBTQ older adults and the very things that you have been talking about. I didn't, I, I read it very quickly. I think it's like in their health section, but I'd be interested given your uh, role at Seabury, as well as uh, your expertise in this, are you aware that 
there's much more of an effort to address this as our population is aging? I mean, being able to say that there are housing uh, projects happening as we speak here and um, all over. I think Seattle has a housing project that they're working on and it's meant for LGBTQ seniors, which exemplifies and also validates the fact that housing for LGBTQ seniors is difficult and that is a barrier for them. And so acknowledging that and being able to come up with solutions like a housing um, project and also being able to enjoy being around their counterparts and not feeling like they have to go back into the closet and go to this specific housing for LGBTQ seniors shows we are moving in the right direction. I can remember when I first started um, in my position and doing uh, educational workshops about 2015, I hadn't heard of a housing project for LGBTQ seniors. Now, I think we're at 20 in the United States, between 20 and 25. So that shows that those concerns are there and they're being acknowledged. And so we are moving forward. And I I love that we have a lot of ways to go, of course, but you are seeing that social isolation is real and how it really does impact our LGBTQ seniors and the barriers have a ripple effect. And so addressing one of them, which is housing, um, is is amazing. Are there any organizations that provide this information? Because I want to address that, particular housing, and since this podcast may be heard in different parts of the country or even outside the country, I was wondering if um, listeners uh, can log on to some site where that kind of information might be available. So if you are in the DMV area, you can go to your Department of Aging uh, and they will have connections to the resources for whatever state that you live in. Um, And if you, if they're developing. So I know in the DMV area, we are really lucky because I know for a fact uh, in Arlington specifically, because I used to work in Arlington and in DC, um, there is a department in aging and they are addressing LGBTQ seniors and able to give some resources. Um, But I will say in other places, you can start with SAGE. um, And it's S-A-G-E that is nationally known. They have articles Um, about the discrimination and barriers for seniors. Um, They have resources, they have connections to things all over uh, the United States. So definitely SAGE would be a great place to uh, start. And they they have, you know, brackets of different categories of of places and things that you can check out as far as resources are concerned. And do you have that website address? Yes, it's SAGEUSA.com. Okay. Well, that's very helpful. And uh, it sounds like then they're also providing the kind of solutions and recommendations and programs to address these challenges. And to that point, I was also wondering if, whether it's SAGE or some other uh, place, are there opportunities or programs for helping to improve the healthcare experiences for LGBTQ older adults? Is there an educational process going on to 
remind folks that there are, or, or healthcare providers, that there are folks who are LGBTQ older adults who need services just like those who are not uh, LGBTQ. What do you know? Absolutely. Um, I think one of the things I've seen over the years, again, be, being in this industry since 2015, um, is the cultural competency. It used to be uh, more for race um, and ethnicities. And I've seen the shift that now a good 75% of uh, cultural competency trainings have been on LGBTQ folks, uh, whether you've seen yours um, and just how to uh, interact, some of the questions, um, what are pronouns, gender versus identity, um, really just helping folks who are uncomfortable have a better understanding and educating them. And so I've noticed that they've done it in multiple folds. It's uh, doing workshops for the actual community. So understanding that, hey, you are gonna have an LGBTQ counterpart. And if you have questions, this is the time to ask um, so that you are not putting the onus on that person to educate you. Um, you should be taking that time out to educate yourself and also in moments where there are workshops where you can ask those questions and get clarification. Um, the other piece I'm seeing is for healthcare providers um, that is a part of their CEUs or any type of continuing education that they need to do. LGBTQ is a part of it. And that has changed significantly because that was not a part. It used to be an option, um, but because we recognize there's so much discrimination within the healthcare community, um, and also anytime you're interacting with an LGBTQ senior and in general, um, down to the unfortunately Department of Recreation, um, I've, I've heard some horror stories of folks feeling uncomfortable um, because they want to have an LGBTQ support group at a, a the rec center um, and just not being greeted with inclusivity and care. And so absolutely just having those conversations with employees, then also having the conversations with the peers and, and helping them understand. And it's a long process and I've definitely seen the strides towards it, but we definitely have a long way to go. And while we've been talking primarily or assuming that many LGBTQ older adults are no longer in the workplace, talk a little bit about employed uh, LGBTQ uh, older adults. Uh, is there, you know, assume with their sexual orientation and gender identity, are there certain laws now that prohibit discrimination for these individuals? What's the process there um, for this group of LGBTQ older adults who are still employed? What's going on there? Well, it definitely falls under Discrimination Act for sure. Um, and from my experience and my experience working with seniors as well, um, I haven't really seen discrimination with my LGBTQ seniors as far as employment. However, I'm going to also sit, like kind of push the envelope and say my transgender seniors definitely experience discrimination um, because of their, their chosen identity and, and how they present. Um, and so I have seen that in certain areas, uh, employment, 
I haven't seen it, but I know that it exists, right? Um, I know that it exists in the sense of folks are uncomfortable with pronouns and uncomfortable with being able to say, oh, um, I, you know, the term he, she, which is, you know, disrespectful, but that is sometimes how uh, transgender uh, folks are addressed um, and being able to not say that. And so if you have that habit of saying that, you might feel uncomfortable having someone who's transgender around. And so I will say that the law is really helpful with that. And I think that they have made great strides in making sure that everyone is inclusive. Um, But I know that my transgender folks get discriminated against all the time. Um, and so how do we how do we move from that is to just continue to educate. Um, just continue to educate and understanding that we are all people and you know through financial barriers how that impacts all of us. Um, and I think through education uh, and continuing to do education we can hopefully make even larger strides. Okay, well, I want to get back to what we were talking about more in connection with moving for folks who say can't age in place, but Mm -hmm. and do need to make the decision to like a retirement community or an assisted living facility or long term care setting. Help us understand more about what are the issues that the older adult faces. And, and I'm assuming that they could be with a partner or they may not have a partner, but kind of what is the process? If there is a need for them to go to one of these kinds of facilities, what happens? Where do they start? What, what could they look up and how could they better understand the process so that they end up being at some place where they're happy and content rather than dissatisfied? What, 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 what do we need to know about that? I definitely say do your research. As we all know, when you uh, Google or call about a facility, you're not going to get all of the information you need. You're not going to know if they're inclusive. You're not going to know. They're going to say it, but you have to experience it. So taking a trip um, if you can, um, or having your designated caregiver or aide or someone take a trip that you trust that will, you will see the inclusivity, whether it's like I brought up earlier, pamphlets, um, staff wearing the LGBTQ um, pin or having like a rainbow on their, um, what do you call that? Their ID, um, asking what are your pronouns? If you hear that within the first couple of minutes, you know, okay, they've done their work. Um, They've been trained and educated um, and they're aware that that's something you should ask uh, and you should not assume at any point, even if the paperwork and you're looking at like, oh, if we're applying to get into assistant facility, what are what does the paperwork look like? What are the questions that they're asking you? Um, and if you feel connected to that place, then I definitely think you should go about it. And that and that's to me the best way to do it because again, you can research it. Um, and unless someone writes a review about it and that comes up, you're not going to know until you actually just kind of go and just do your research and have conversations. And, you know, if they allow you to take a tour, start talking to folks. And is there any LGBTQ 
programming here? Do they acknowledge LGBTQ seniors? If you hear a conversation of we don't have those, you know where they are on the spectrum. Um, and so I definitely think moving in that direction would be really helpful for anyone. Well, and I wanted to now hear about Seabury Resources for Aging, which is the organization that you're uh, affiliated with. So talk a little bit more about the mission of Seabury and our, and you are involved in an LGBTQ program. And, and I want to hear some more about that. But are there non-LGBTQ uh, residents there as, as well as those who are? And how, how does that work? I mean, in fact, that sounds very ideal that there are both kinds and people are all living together in one big setting. Is that true? Um, yes, that is true. And so Seabury, we're a 501c, um, a nonprofit organization that we're dedicated to personalizing um, our services and making sure that our services are affordable and that we do provide some housing options for older adults. Um, and I think the beauty is, is having the out and about program for those who need extra assistance or feel uncomfortable that our LGBTQ seniors can branch out and identify with others in our LGBTQ program, which is called Out and About. Um, however, Seabury is an inclusive space. Um, and so with our two, two housing properties, which is our Friendship Terrace, which is on Butterworth uh, Place in the Tinley Town area, it is um, an assistant, and no, I'm sorry, it is an independent living uh, facility. And so, yes, we have uh, a program coordinator there who is very conscious and culturally competent and recognizes that we have, she has LGBTQ seniors. So she will refer her LGBTQ seniors to come to our out and about program. Um, it's because they're independent uh, seniors, so they're able to do so. The other piece is, is that she looks for programming to do that is inclusive and is uh, very culturally aware. And so we're very proud of that and continue to move in those spaces. So yes, we are inclusive. We do not separate when it comes to our housing. Um, and then we have an assisted and independent living program, which is in Silver Spring, um, which is our Springvale Terrace property. And so both uh, properties have a program coordinator and they do provide activities and they uh, make sure that they're inclusive and they're constantly doing workshops to make sure that everyone does feel included. So and just so I understand, out and about, does that mean uh, going places around the Washington area and or doing things right at the facility or 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 what? Tell me a little bit more about what's involved in 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 the program. Absolutely. So our out and about program, we decided that there needed to be a program back in 2016, and so we were we put in a application with the Department of Aging and Community Living, and we received a grant. And so that allowed us to start programming for our LGBTQ seniors once we realized the disparities and the discrimination and that need for having programming specifically for LGBTQ seniors. Um, and so we started with doing an event um, once a month. Uh, and so they would have, a, we have a council that would help with that, so they would give ideas and kind of let us know what's going on in the community, what needs to be done, um, where 
are areas where other seniors need to be exposed? Um, where can we support LGBTQ uh, businesses? Our seniors are very, very savvy. Um, and so they'll say, oh, we need to go to this new bar, um, a league of their own, for example. Um, and we can, they have um, bingo there and it's LGBTQ bingo. So I think that we should have one of our events there so that seniors can meet other seniors. And we go, okay. And we have those discussions and we create a calendar of events. Um, and so for the first two years, we were doing it once a month. Of course, funding is a thing. And so we were now moving to between four to six events a month. And so that is anywhere in DC where they can go. Our participant pool is all wards. So all wards of DC wards one through eight, and they get a chance to meet each other. Uh, we also provide a meal. So a part of our grant is that when they go and they socialize, we know that um, not only is social isolation an issue, but food disparity and um, senior hunger is very prevalent in the DC area. So we make sure that we provide a meal and they also get to interact uh, to fight against social isolation. And so that is important to us and that is what we do. And so our council, which consists of 10 folks and we get them for all wards and we make sure we have uh, inclusive and rep representative groups. So we make sure that we're taking care of those issues and concerns from a transgender population, um, gay, bi, uh, lesbian, and making sure that we're getting all voices heard at the table. I wanted to ask you about one more program, and, and I, again, saw this on the Seabury website. It says the LGBTQ Brain Health Support Group. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is, uh, the requirements or process for participation? What's the goal there? What, do, what would we want to know? We have a lot of uh, agencies that we partner with. So uh, DC Center is one of them. They also provide LGBTQ um, events, workshops, uh, any type of community-based program. Um, we also have Capitol Hill uh, Village, and we're, they're also one of our uh another lead agency that we work with. And so the LGBTQ Brain Health Support uh, is a newer support group for anyone impacted by dementia, uh, which is super important because a lot of our seniors are impacted by that. And so this is for folks who are impacted, but with it within, excuse me, the LGBTQ uh, community. And so it's available to anybody in the district. So all boards, um, and it's really great to take advantage of this because you're working with the brain and they're they're doing things and they're having conversation and it's a great support group to know there are folks around you who are impacted by the same thing and also in some shape and form are relatable with the community that you belong to, which is the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and so it is within Capitol Hill Village and Aerie, which is A-R-I-E, is that contact person. And I can also provide a number um, if anyone is interested. You would just call 202-543-1778 uh, and extension 101 and ask for Ari. All right. Well, one last question here. You've been giving some excellent resources, which has been, which have been very helpful, Kristen. Anything else that our listeners need to know about the LGBTQ issues, if they are an older adult or even if they're a family member? 
don't be afraid of your blind spot about LGBTQ issues. It's okay to say, I'm not aware, or I don't understand, or tell me more about that, or I, you know, I, I need to understand. Um, because the more you understand, the better we all will be as, as a unit. And so I think folks get so nervous that they're going to offend or they're going to hurt someone that they just rather not ask any questions or talk at all. And that's not how we get to a better space within being inclusive. And so I just, just kind of leaning into that space, um, calling up, you could call any department of aging and ask about LGBTQ seniors and, you know, ask if, you know, what type of support do they have? What resource do they have? Don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to call and have those conversations. Even if you come across something on the computer and you see a group and you just pop up and attend. And even if you are not a part of the LGBTQ community, but you're an ally or you are supporting someone who is, um, again, it's an inclusive space the other way around as well. You do not have to be LGBTQ plus to be in an LGBTQ uh, space. And uh, please be on the lookout for us as far as our out and about program. We are expanding. Um, and I know a lot of my seniors will be happy because there are folks that I keep in touch with who are like, as soon as you open up to Virginia, I'm coming. Um, and so we are excited to say we're definitely expanding. Uh, so, you know, please be on the lookout for us uh, and, and that connection if you do want to create a space or connect with folks of your community. Well, good advice there, and I want to thank Kirsten Fuller, Social Innovation Manager with Seabury Resources for Aging. Thank you for joining me today, Kirsten. Thank you. Just wanted to remind the uh, listeners that the new time when this program will re-air is on WERA is Fridays at 2 p.m. every week. If you want to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website at agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you can access all Aging Matters radio and TV show content in addition to Aging Matters podcasts on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. Learning more about that company can be done by logging on to inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. <music>